Faster my, it's just after midday on Thursday, Jadane. Um, what date is it now? Oh yeah, 22nd of, uh, of uh, February. And now let's feed uh, Tajak Ari. Um, so, lots been happening. Some exciting uh, news developing uh, in the pol- politics world. And um, we'll probably be wanting to talk a little bit about that. The, the budget, of course, is... Uh, uh, barely, uh, the ink is barely dry on that, so lots to talk about there, um, and yeah, maybe some other exciting uh, breaking news that we can we can bring to you. Um, but yeah, uh, let's hear from you. Sixty six thirteen sixty eight is the number. Text the one six six one seven seven, or email studio at manxradio.com. Um, so for me, the most exciting news uh, this week is that uh, the Kronkavadi Young Men's Club, average age over 75, um, beat the Regabi Social Club last night at Billiards. Uh, 7-3. We whooped them. Anyway, that's 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 just me. Um, but I suppose um, maybe if anyone from Regabi's uh, listening, they could call in and explain what happened. Um, but probably more interesting to most listeners is the uh, the the breaking news yesterday that uh, Julie Edge well was she sacked or or was she um was this merely a um what's the, the oh gosh where's that noise coming from oh yes um so was she sacked or uh, was this a, a strategic change reshuffle um certainly the chief minister doesn't seem to uh, think that she was sacked uh, he he says that, um, uh, well, he reiterates Julie Edge has been replaced in what the chief minister has termed a strategic change. I wonder whether Julie Edge sees it that way. Um, certainly, she's no longer in post and someone else is in, in post. Um, a reaction, an almost immediate reaction from her colleague, uh, in in Onken, Rob Collister, and it's fair to say that Rob and Julie have not always seen eye to eye to eye. Uh, but Christian Jones called, caught up with Rob, and uh, certainly off the back of that uh, of the, the the news of Julie Edge's departure, um, on, uh, Rob Collister took to social media and uh, asked his constituents if they wanted genuine change in direction for government. Uh, in recent months, other Crown dependencies have replaced their chief ministers, uh, which Mr Collister says he received hundreds of comments from constituents calling for the same here. Uh, so speaking with Christian Jones, uh, he was asked if it's likely we'll see a no-confidence motion in Alfred Cannon's leadership. I'm not too sure at this moment in time, but that is what people are asking for. People are asking for change and it's very unusual for the Isle of Man to even consider a vote of no confidence in a chief minister. And that's got to be a decision, to, a decision taken very, very carefully. I personally, as I said, I had confidence in the chief minister in 2016 and again in 2021. I supported him and voted for him to be the chief minister of the island. I'm not liking some of the decisions and the directions he's taken this island. And I think some of the decisions he's making is not being fully explained. You cannot have a mid-term change by only making one person change in the, within that organization. That's not how it works in the private sector. If, if, if something's not working 
or a direction's not being followed, then you look at the whole organisation. You don't just look at one individual person to single out. If there was a no-confidence motion tabled, do you think that there would be enough uh, backbench support to actually push that through? I'm not sure we are talking about a vote of no confidence in the current chief minister at this time. What I'm talking about is this government, this administration needs to listen to what people are saying and try to change the direction we're going, trying to make those tough decisions, but also understanding how it's impacting on our community. So uh, that was Rob Collister's view. Julie Edge issued a statement uh, shortly after her departure, are we, are we allowed to say sacking? Uh, it certainly feels like that. Um, naturally, I'm disappointed to become the latest in an increasing list of ministers who have been appointed and then asked to stand down from the Canon administration. Although, to some extent, as the difficult woman, and this is Julie's words, not mine, uh, who regularly challenges decisions and offers the public perspective, I'm not surprised. The fact I was informed of the news this afternoon, Wednesday, 24 hours after I told the Chief Minister of my intention to speak publicly about my predetermined position on whistleblowing and the government's management of the Dr Rosalind Ranson case and the Richard Wright KC report debated in Tinwald, um, speaks volumes to me. So that's uh, Julie Edge's view, and we'll be speaking uh, to Julie uh, later, um, I think uh, shortly after this programme, to, to get her, her point of view. But, yeah, what do you think? Um, and what do you think of the Cronkavada Young Men's Club uh, result against Regaby? Um Right, let's see. A, a text in here. I wonder, Phil, is the sacking of Edge a distraction away from the terrible budget? Timing is everything. Or is this just shuffling deck chairs in the Titanic? Well, Julian uh, is joining us now on line one. And I guess, Julian, uh, you might be wanting to talk a little bit about Julie Edge's departure. Yeah, hiya, Phil. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Fair good, enough. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, the news that Daphne Kane has taken over at the Department of Education, Sport and Culture um, does bring up a couple of points I'd like to make. Um, first one is it would be nice if Daphne can confirm that the Southern Swimming Pool will continue operating until a replacement pool is in place because there was some question about you, there's a year's funding and then we don't know. Um, and also that does raise another point, which is that the Southern Swimming Pool is a statutory facility, like a bus service in many ways, paid for by a large amount of ratepayers on the island. And can we have some clarity as to why the Southern Swimming Pool remains closed on a Sunday, most of Wednesday, and why it continues to close during TT, especially considering the large amount of people that can't close by just down the road um, during pre-TT and Southern 100 races, which you'd think um, you'd stay open for something like that when you've got hundreds of people just camping down the road. Um, also, things that come to mind, the projected overspend at the NSC of £550,000 on top of the uh, um, £1.7 that they've already got through, uh, that overspend is roughly 11 years' worth of funding at the Southern Swimming Pool. And it seems that all the NSC has to show for it is two lanes closed because of substandard tile refurbishment in recent times. 
Um, and I heard on the news earlier on that Gerald Higgins, who worked in Treasury for 39 years, has said that government spending is out of control. And the NSC, with its over half a million pounds spend in a year, is a case in point. Um, I also uh, noticed that the budget has allocated £350,000 of contingency funds for the regional pools. But as Peel and Ramsey pools have had massively more funding of 250000 roughly each, more than the Southern Swimming Pool has, uh, you might remember that uh, Ramsey managed to spend 140000 quid on a front door. Um, I'd say that a statutory facility like the Southern Swimming Pool that continues not to open on a Sunday or a Wednesday, most of it, uh, don't they require some of this contingency help so that they can get back to what all the other pools do, which is open on a Sunday for all families when they're not working? And the Southern Swimming Pool Board have said that uh, the reasons that they have had to introduce these closures is to try and save money uh, because the, the times that they're closing are the less profitable times for the pool. Um and you know, whether you agree or disagree with that is is is, um, is for you to decide. But of course, that's that's the, the, you know, for the pool uh, board to 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 make those decisions. Um, do you think it's uh, unfair that uh, Julie Edge has, has gone? Do you think it's it was inevitable? I think it was inevitable. I mean, I don't think she did herself any favours up in Ramsey with the closure of the post office. Um, I, I think that was pretty unpopular from from what I remember. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think her statement was talking about she represents the public. But, I mean, you know, over 6,000 people and six MHKs beg to differ with that one about the Southern Swimming Pool. Um, so I don't know... Um, you know, it, it's always a shame when somebody has to, to move on. But on the other hand, it, it was becoming, I think, it was it was becoming untenable. Uh, you know, you can't just get rid of statutory things like that. I mean, you might as well just say, well, the bus service doesn't make any money, so we're shutting all the buses down. It just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the overspends and all the rest of it, the other thing that people are interested in is things like why are the FOI requests for example, the, the uh, steam packet, why are they being refused? You know, that's kind of a big spend, wasn't it, on, mm. the, um, on the ferry terminal? And, you know, the boat wasn't cheap either. And it does seem to have a bit of a problem if there's, like, you know, a bit of an easterly wind and not being able to get in. Yeah, um, well... And the other, go and on, the other big ticket spend is the, is the, the wind farm mm. up at Erie Stain, the touted one, and that wind measuring equipment, the sodar instrument... Um, there's no FOIs allowed on the data from how much wind's going on at the moment. And you think, you know, that's a very big spend. And if it's, if it's not as, as described as to how much it's going to earn to get its money back, that's another question. Why is the FOIs being refused on the data from that? So, you know, the steam packet, the, these are the bigger ticket spends. And Gerald Higgins said the spending's out of control. Why is there not transparency on FOIs for these things? Well, yeah, indeed. Thanks for that, uh, Julian. Two more callers on the line. So we'll go now to, uh, I think it's Wilf next. Uh, he was wanting to talk about the floodplain in Ramsey, maybe, or perhaps uh, you're uh, interested, Wilf, in, 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 in the sacking of, uh, or oh, is it sacking? I don't know. When someone is, is asked to vacate their, their office, and someone else goes into their place. What do you think? Is that second, or is it just a strategic move by the chief minister? 
What was that? Hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, you tell what me what you want to talk that? about. No, I was just asking oh, about. It, it was it was the floodplain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the floodplain. Well, they're talking about building houses in Ramsey, and it's, I'm reading it, the paper here in front of me, and it says homes bid on the floodplain set for approval. Hmm. So it's it's, ne- it's nearly pushed through, and it's it's getting tried to be pushed through by um, uh, the planner, the planner, the chief planner, planning officer has said. Mr. Laird, I've never heard of him, but I right. don't know, is he a new man or what, or I don't know. Not a name I'm familiar with, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Obviously, he's not familiar with the area, hmm. um, but I am because I've lived here all my life. And uh, the thing is, it says exactly what it is, it's a floodplain. Now, the thing is here, it says that they want to build a spine road. Now, that does affect, in effect... Um, a barrier to keep the water out hmm. of, of now also you see being a floodplain it's also a drain plain yep when it's not flooding it's draining the higher ground hmm. now you put a spine and you you put this well in effect what it is it's a huge thick hedge and a road on top of it you keep the water out you'd also keep the water in you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's draining the inside. It can't that the water can't get out anymore. Certainly, in is, in uh, uh, well, uh, in many parts of uh, the British Isles, you see where floodplains have been built on, and uh, the result is uh, greater flooding um, further down uh, the, the 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 river because well, the water gets there quicker because it doesn't have the opportunity to flood out onto the floodplain. Yes, well, but the other thing is, it says that um, outside the barrier, the houses will be built on stilts. Right. Can you believe that? Like, do they think we're in Africa or somewhere? Well, you know what I mean. People's going to uh, going to. What do they have? Rowing boats tied up at the door or what? I don't know. <laughs> Well, but, it's it's um, it's a it's an interesting way of adapting to uh, uh, potential changes in in the weather. Certainly. Mm. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, you see, you keep the water out of one place, which is the floodplain, then it's got to go somewhere mm. else. Nothing stops the sea. The sea comes in twice a day, every day, and then when you get heavy rain as well, that's when we get the floods. Now, I've seen it coming. Down, I've seen the uh, Glen Alden River burst its banks, and then the water come through uh, the power station, round the corner, and uh, all the way down uh, Gardner's Lane, 18 inches to two foot high. And that put everywhere. I've I've led horses off the field that Dandar has already built on, mm. up to the bellies in water. Yeah, and yeah. that's the high part of the field. Mm. So let's just forget that for a minute. You you stop it going in there, the river the river's swelling up and it can't get into that floodplain. Then it's got to go the other side. And those houses the other side have already been flooded many times. Yeah, right. And they put all sorts of barriers and things up to stop that. Mm. Well, I mean, it's just... It's it's it's, it's absolutely inter- crazy, and, and I mean, there's a petition being established. I understand um, by one That's of the, right. the commissioners. Lamar, I believe, yeah. was on this morning. Mm. I didn't hear it, but Lamar's uh, crane was on this morning. Mm. 
gotten this petition up, and I don't know, there's, I don't know, six or seven hundred uh, uh, signatures on already. Mm. I can't put mine on it because I'm not online. Right. Oh well. I, I can't sign, sign my name as a, uh, with a pen. Yeah. That's all I can do. You see. Ah well. But it's... but I, I told her last night that I'm 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 you know with her on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Normally we don't see eye to eye, but on this one night we do. Great. Okay. Um, well. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll have to go because there's, there's loads of people wanting to get in, lots of texts coming in as well. Um, but uh, thanks for that, uh, Wilf. Um, well, I think we should probably take a break before, uh, before hearing from Howard. Well, I think I've upset Rosemary, who says, uh, why don't you challenge callers like Alex instead of letting them waffle on? Uh, Sadly, I think this refers to uh, Wilf. It seems to me you are trying to stir up trouble against the government. Please stop all your negativity and let's have some positivity. Well, apologies for for being uh, negative. I I try and be positive. Uh, On the positive, um, one of the Regabee boys has been in touch. Uh, Phil, some of the games last night was close in the billiards. So, uh, yes, okay, fair enough. Um, Right, where are we on now? We have on uh, line two, I think, or is it line one, uh, Josh, who is the developer of the Solby Riverside Project, I understand. Hi there, yes, how are you? Good, thanks, yes. Um, yes, I'm just calling in about the sort of last call that's come in and also a bit of the sort of news that's been uh, around this week on petitions and so on. Hmm. So um, just in, in, in the first case, um, the flood risk aspect, uh, the gentleman called in, there's a huge, huge, huge amount of information about flooding. This has been modelled by the absolute top uh, guys in the field to demonstrate how we are actually bettering the flood situation. Uh, We're not just doing it for our site, we're doing it for the whole town. What you have to realise is this um, scheme is being built on an island. The island has multiple areas of water by the nature of being an island, and half the town is already built on a floodplain. That's just the nature of it. This is all about the management of water. So we spent an extremely high amount of money on showing how or designing this so that it would make the whole area better and build a barrier for town. So I find it frustrating that someone is able to call in. They're not online, so uh, they don't really have any access to all of the information, and they're just sort of going off hearsay of what their opinion is. But it's spreading untruths, which isn't very helpful when there are hundreds of pages of reports around flooding, uh, modelling this flooding over um, hundreds of years and very uh, one-off circumstances to show that this isn't an issue. In terms of building on stilts, um, it's not exactly how it sounds. It's about raising and having, uh, you know, undercroft areas that allow people to exit anywhere where the flooding can happen without it having any impact, if that makes sense. And that's on uh, aspects of the building that are happening closer to the riverside, whereas there's a lot of it that's happening way away from the riverside. So the flood risk, it has to be looked at on the documentation that is extremely, extremely professionally done. And you will see Backer, the architects on this, have designed things internationally. And not only that, we're spending a huge amount of money and investment on the area to bring this information to the to the island, which allows them then to take this as a precedent on other places of the island. Uh, so that's the first aspect, which is just the flooding, if you want me to go into anything else in more detail on that. So, um, I mean... There is no doubt that the area is a flood plain. It's an area of salt marsh uh, that um, is a relatively rare habitat on the Isle of Man. Um, 
is are, are these can, can not some you know the, do the people of Ramsey not have some justification raising concerns uh, about the potential loss of these areas? So in terms of the flooding, no, there aren't any concerns because, as I say, we've modelled it out on hugely, hugely, um, you know, in uh, unlikely flood events, and everything is actually better than it is now. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the spine road is being built, which is huge infrastructure, um, very, very helpful for town, um, avoids closing the roads during the TT, etc., and it just offsets all that road, um, the road issues there, and creates a much better connectivity. The second part is talking about the salt, um, the salt marsh areas. First of all, it's just a point that there's been three years that we started this application and we've already been into committee twice. And I'm not sure where these people have been for the last three years because they've just started a Facebook page yesterday, as far as I can see. And we've been open to discussion with every party. We've amended the uh, the uh, planning application to suit all parties. But every time there's a committee uh, on a Monday, Friday afternoon, we have... Uh, Quite uh, coincidentally, we have people coming out of the woodwork with various questions they want to ask. And I just need to say, you know, all this information is there, extremely professionally done for people to review. And it's hugely frustrating. And it's basically putting a rubber stamp on uh, not only the island, but on Ramsey to say, do not invest here because we will make it, you know, it's ethically been extremely difficult for us because who's coming and making comments at 4.30 on a Friday before committee on a Monday? That's happened twice now. Um, and so we're open to discussions. We've been, been amenable. The, the scheme is compliant. Uh, we're making, we're bettering the island. We're putting money into affordable homes. We're putting money into uh, infrastructure. We're not going into the Greenbelt area, which is the other option is just a local developer can go and build uh, very boring boxes on the Greenbelt and go out of town. So all these things, this land is zoned to be built on. Um, and it's zoned for a reason, and we're doing all of the consultations and have done all the consultations and put it in the public uh, sector for them to have comments on. Uh, the latest of a petition of us building on the salt marsh, again, is just simply untrue. We're not building anywhere near the salt marsh. Uh, we're actually creating a much betterment of the area so that people can actually have more access to these natural areas that are currently largely unused. And the zoning of the site can be used for commercial. This could be an industrial estate, really, and there'll be no access uh, to any of those uh, salt masses, et cetera. So it's just untruths being spun. But fortunately for us, the, the planning uh, the planning member and the committee have been very good at just looking at the facts and looking at the documents and the executive summaries we put forward while all this noise is going on that is way, way, way late in the day, uh, which is ethically quite uh, unfair for, uh, for investors, um, and also simply based on things that aren't fact. So there's a lot of frustration there, and I implore anyone to go onto the planning uh, site and check out all of the information that has no end of information uh, on flooding, on where the uh, where it's being built, on how the flood risk works, on how the swales work, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see my frustration that we bring in a internationally uh, very, very, very successful team um, that are just being ignored. And the last call is sort of, I don't mean to insult or anything, but it sort of summarizes the issue. Someone's coming in without the education and without even checking the documents. Like he hasn't looked at a single thing. He's just, you know, uh, decided what he thinks, having walked around town a couple of times. Uh, and that's that's the frustration. Well, the, the positive news is that the planning committee is there to consider the application based on evidence and uh, any Absolutely. evidence that they receive, they will make th those decisions based on that evidence. Uh, I think it's not unreasonable, though, for people in a local area to be given the opportunity to make uh, their views known in, in relation to applications, or, or do you think that is uh, unreasonable? 
I think it's absolutely absolutely reasonable, and we also carried out a full public consultation um, uh, early in the stages, and everyone was uh, very supportive. I say everyone on the balance of things, people were supportive. Um, so we've been through a public consultation, and there's also been years since, uh, well, years during the process where people have been able to. Uh, have an opinion but you would also understand that when we're in committees uh, and all the documents have been presented and we're about to make decisions all of these last minute you know arriving after the first committee even this could have been decided potentially a couple of weeks ago and this petition would have not seen the light of day is people turning up last minute and sort of creating a stir where actually you know everything's been presented it's been dealt with professionally the committee have reviewed everything and all of this that is happening is uh, is simply noise that is not based on the facts. And if people are calling in and saying, I've read the flood reports, I've, I can look at page 47, and I'm not sure about, you know, clause three, uh, that sort of the, the, we would take those more seriously, but it's not, it's just, I, I completely understand locals should have an opinion, uh, but um, we've been through the process and there's a timing for the opinions and I just wish it was based on the facts that are presented rather than, you know, just, uh, just hearsay, etc. Okay, well, thanks for that. Um, and... Uh... Well, there you go. People of Ramsey, there are facts available on the planning website. Have a look and um, maybe maybe, maybe your, your views will change as a result of that. Um, a few texts in um, before I take Howard. Uh, Faster My Renew Schools Minister, she says, uh, will be listening to education professionals and teachers. But what about the most important stakeholders, the parents? That's a very good point there from Andy. Um, what else have we got? I think Alf Cannon is coming across like a bully because if anyone challenges his decisions, then they get sacked and replaced. Um, I can understand there are always tough decisions to be made at budget time, but to increase school ch- children bus fares is a big no-no. Most of these children's parents don't have cars, hence taking the bus, as always, uh, Mr. Allenson's decisions with the budget is another blow to working class families. Totally, completely wrong. The island is fastly uh, becoming uh, them and us. Impoverished families, struggling rich families, no change. Totally, completely wrong. Uh, demoralised big John from Laxey. Um, Howard has been very patient, so um, I will now take Howard. Howard, uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, Phil. No, it's just, um, I was listening to that chap, he was rattling on there, he seemed to have a myriad of answers, but um, <clears throat> one of the questions I would like to ask, and it, this happened to a friend of mine when he moved to East Yorkshire, insurance on the house that he was purchasing was subject to availability depending on how the floodplain was, and in proximity to the house that he was buying and he would not have got insurance on that building if he had been at x number of feet lower than where the house was uh, so it was like a line in um on the map where the floodplain was and um luckily enough his house that he was buying was just outside the floodplain area and he was able to get insurance on the building that's just one train of thought that these people, once, if it ever goes through, uh, the houses are built, and this chap has just said they're going to be, well, on stilts, they're going to be raised so that people have access egress in case, in case there's a flood. So the presumption's there that the area does flood. 
Um, so what does the insurance, these people, are, if they buy a, an expensive house and they can't get it insured uh, because of the, um, the area that it's built in? Just you probably remember this being the South Man, the Aragon, hmm. um, houses down there at Russian Abbey. Uh, they were built right alongside the river. And the first time they had a serious flood on that river, a lot of those houses were flooded. Yes, quite serious flooding as well, wasn't it? It yeah. was extremely serious flooding. And I think they were empty for quite a while until they were, um, the damage was rectified. But you don't hear anything of that now. I but there was, a, I mean, the solution that was put forward eventually was to, mm. to actually put in uh, proper flood defences. I think there was a, a bond put put all the way around the, uh, the, right. the, the worst risk area. And yeah. that's indeed what the developer who's just been on has, has said that they're going to do in, in Ramsey. So um, surely, you know, uh, uh, well, the, the planning committee is there to uh, to consider the facts as presented to them. Um, so uh, you'd hope that... Yeah, uh, the, um, the, the thing with that is that if it is a known floodplain, why are they wanting to build in that area? Uh, you've got the lakes of down there where the Tesco is. Lake Road. That's the name says it all. It's a lake road. And um, we do get flooding down there, but not as much as what uh, you would think. But even still, it's a, it's an area where the pressure of water, because being an island the water coming in from the sea uh, stops the water going down the rivers and, uh, of course, it's got to go somewhere. Mm. So you've got to be very, very careful where you put your houses. Well, Howard, um, Josh, uh, the, the, the man mm. representing the development, um, wants to, to put some points um, back in response to what you've just said. So, uh, yeah, well, just one second before on. um, one of the other things they're actually coming on for... Um, Julie Edge getting moved sideways or whatever, and Daphne Kane being moved into her position. This is one of the things that, it's an an old saying, jack of all trades, master of none. Well, Daphne Kane has had just about virtually every position within the government. And Alf Cannon seems to be picking and choosing his favourites to move them round and put them in as ministerial posts. There are 24 members of the House of Keys. Very rarely have I heard any mention of any of the other members of the MHKs who represent the island being offered positions within the ministerial cabinet. And Daphne Kane, in the last 12 months, must have had about five different positions in government. And that thing has just said now, jack of all trades, master of none, fits it. Perfectly. Okay, well, thanks for that, Howard. I think it's a little bit harsh uh, description of, of Daphne. Um, and no doubt if Alf Cannon were here, he would say, well, look, I'm trying to make the most of the uh, the people that I have available to me. Um, of course, if Julie Edge was here, she might have something else to say. But uh, Josh, you, you, you were incensed by something that Howard said? <laughs> Never incensed. No, I just wanted to, to reply to Howard. Uh, but no, the obviously, the he asked the question of why we would want to build on a floodplain, etc. And the it sort of stands up the other way as well. We wouldn't do this if we, you know, weren't able to 
uh, build good houses and sell houses on the floodplain. We do this uh, because um, we can do it. It's it's possible. It's not going out into greenbelt area. We have very professional, you know, surveys done uh, that are all available uh, to show that it's very possible and they won't be flooded. And that is why we're able to attain insurance. And we've and, had some, uh, confirmation of that as well. So presumably, presumably, this yeah. land is designated for residential development. Is it? It's designated for use. Yep, it's um, it's got I think mixed commercial and residential aspects, um, and we're building a mixed uh, commercial residential aspects. You got to think like the alternative to a site like this, uh, which another developer could easily do, is just uh, build an industrial estate without a spine road, and it would be just right in the middle of town. And I don't think that's the most appealing way. And you see these riverside developments that happen in multiple places that are absolutely fantastic. And people love living riverside. And if it can be done safely um, and effectively and professionally, then they're fantastic places to live. We're not developers that want to come in and build boring boxes in a field uh, and take up Greenbelt. This is designated land right in the middle of the town uh, where infrastructure can be given. And you get to live by a lovely riverside with uh, a, a nature reserve next to it. I don't see the point in having a nature reserve where there's very very minimal access um, and it's not being nicely used our our whole scheme allows access to that so it can actually be used properly by by the locals um, okay. it's just nice riverside living well th- thanks for that Josh. The, uh, um, just very quickly he mentioned the stilts as well it's not uh, there's, there's some aspects that are stilted um, uh, but the, a lot of the development is not because it's it's so it's very far from the river. Okay. It's not well, s- sadly, so. I'm going to have to go because we, we've got loads and loads of well, three more callers by the look of things. When the man in line's not on air, call Manx Radio to leave your opinion for broadcast on six eight two six three one. And we have Eddie uh, on line two, I think. And someone's calling you, Eddie. Oh, yes, I'm here, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, just to refresh over yesterday's programme, really, with uh, Alex. Yeah. It's a pity Alex is not there. No offence to you. That's all right. But uh, I was on earlier in the week, uh, along with a few other people, and we were talking about alternatives to uh, wind power. Hmm. And... I mentioned that prior to Christmas, sorry, I'm out of breath, I've just run back in the house. That's all right. Uh, prior to Christmas, I was asking people to uh, not not say that we're all naggers around and whingers and everything, but we are concerned about things. So what we do is we've got interested in it and look into it. Well, Alex came on and he said, you know, I've done exactly what you suggested, Eddie, and try and find out about things. Mm. So he said that he'd been in touch with some Dr. Quirk, and Dr. Quirk had said this, that, and the other about how geothermal was no use whatsoever. Uh, And he he then sort of suggested that if anybody who knows what they're doing comes on, well, lo and behold... Uh, 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 a chap called Graham Fox, I think it was, came That's on. That's right, Graham Fox Hume. Yeah. Yep. yep, and I believe he's actually uh, got more qualifications than, uh, than this Dr Quirk. But anyway, he gave every reason why we why why we should experiment. Not what, knock it. It seemed very biased what the Dr Quirk was was saying in 
and really speaking, I mean, the, the government have been paying this guy for advice and everything. So he's bound to be a little bit one-sided, isn't he? Well, Eddie... But, um, but before, well, you, before you go any further... Well, no, I... I, I ju- ju- for God's sake, let okay, me finish, go on, go on, then. Go on. Let me finish. Right, thank you. What we have said and what every one of us who's been looking into alternatives has found out is exactly what this Graham Fox has said. And as a taxpayer, I wouldn't mind three or four million pounds spending on experimenting with a hole. Don't knock it. What we've already done is we've, we've said to the government, we think that the wind farm is just a, a, a born loser from the minute go. Everything about it we have found out is wrong. So is every other country in the world. Let's try something different. Let's halt what, what the stupidity is at the moment of spending up to between 700 million and a billion pounds on wind and when we've got it we're going to need something else as a backup so yeah the geothermal as far as i'm concerned did a really good job and alex did a good job in pointing out that he started checking and what did he do he found out things so Everybody wants to do the same. Well, what I was going to try and say is that uh, Alex has uh, also uh, been doing a little bit more digging and he's joining us in the studio. Hello, Eddie. How are you? No, oh, Eddie's still there. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, Eddie, I did do the the checking. Um, uh, that just to challenge your point, that um, uh, Graham's Fox Hume, who was on yesterday, um, the man I was referring to was Dr. David Quirk, who um, okay. actually has more experience. Um, the, the the gentleman who's a, he's a previous senior uh, geophysicist as well as a geologist um, at Shell, Maersk, um, also Burlington Resources, and he's done a number of um, drilling projects. And um, he did reply, um, bearing in mind that uh, the comments that Graham Fox Hume made yesterday, um, it would take one and a half years to reach the depth of five to six kilometres. Um, in terms of doing this drilling. Um, the cost of the drilling rig, the cement and steel needed to complete the borehole would cost around £100 million. Um, That would not include the cost of the specialised power plant that uh, Paul Rose is not suitable for. Um, there is actually more than 20 successful boreholes needed to provide the same power as Paul Rose Power Station. Some of the boreholes um, would not work and the power would be dwindled over time because um, single closed-loop geothermal boreholes, they're only at the experimental stage at the moment. This is why Cornwall's project of about £45 million is currently on hold. Um, so even if a pilot project was successful, less and less heat would be produced over time because the rocks cool down, heat conduction is obviously slower than heat extraction. Uh, Therefore, for the first year, we might produce about two megawatts of power. The second year is one megawatt, and the third year probably around about half a megawatt. So that's the feedback uh, we've had from an expert who's got experience in the actual production of this. So uh, no matter how much um, people might want this to happen, I think the point was, Eddie, that um, instead of reading stuff off um, possibly the internet, I went to someone who's got experience in the industry, and possibly these are the people... Um, the kind of people that the government has gone to first um, in order to get clarification and say, well, maybe wind power is the way forward that is affordable, that will be cheaper than um, experimenting with £100 million. Well, hasn't this actually brought my point exactly what I'm trying to say? The minute you start questioning things, you find out a lot of things. Now, what what we've ended up with here is one fellow saying one thing to you, uh, which... 
which uh, is, is going to uh, bring on this other guy again to say, look, yesterday he said there's 700 of them working all around the world. So let's, we've got this conversation going now, haven't we? And, and surely one of them is actually telling the fib or exaggerating things is a better way of putting it, isn't it? So let's give this Graham Fox a chance again to come back and, and uh, like you've just said, it doesn't work. He's actually telling us it does. So, but the and question yet, is, are you going to be happy to spend 100 million on experimenting on that? Because that, that is what the state is from the industry, not from someone who's a geologist, but from someone who's worked in the industry of providing these. It can work, but it will cost you a lot of money. Well, he said yesterday it would cost between six and ten. And he's not worked in the industry. So that's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, from someone who's worked in the industry and someone who hasn't. Yeah, but this Graham Fox says he has worked in the industry. Not, not in the drilling industry, no. Well, um, I'm, sadly, I'm going to have to put, pull this to an end because we've got three more callers. and uh, on the, on the conversation going, but, Yeah, thanks for that, Eddie. Um, next up, I think... Is uh, Viv is Viv still there or has she gone? I'm not sure. I can't can't see that. Um, okay, um, few texts that have come in. Um, afternoon. Uh, well, yes, uh, Phil can't believe uh, people want government to experiment with their money, which is needed for healthcare. Um, yes, this is an interesting point. I put this point to Alex Allenson, and you can hear more about it on Perspective. Uh, he denied that they were experimenting with uh, with this budget. Um, then, uh, what else have we got here? Um, good decision by Alf Cannon to replace the education minister. Just a shame he didn't put Ashford, uh, uh, David Ashworth, David Ashworth, it says, Ashford, I think it means, in charge. And have you taken over at Manx Radio in a preempt to launch a military coup? Well, if I had, I wouldn't be telling you, would I? Um, right, uh, I think, yes, we, we probably haven't got time to go to any more of the calls, unfortunately, because we've only got 20 seconds left. Um, the global bro engineering trip is out of control and making our weather worse, uh, says uh, one texter. Um, I asked, what else have we got here? I truly believe we are being blinkered and misled by... Uh, some of our members is of great concern because none of them have a clue about or admitted to even knowing about the WEF who pan, uh, or WHO pandemic treatment uh, amendments. So that's there. And yes, sadly, we're out of time. So, yes, um, apologies for, for all the callers that we weren't able to get to and indeed the what must be nearly uh, 50 texts and emails into the studio. Uh, loads been going on here. Lots, uh, lots of interesting uh, politics about. Uh, don't forget that tomorrow we have a budget special. Um, the idea or the thinking behind this is we've had a, a few more days to actually ponder and consider. Uh, we also have heard now from all the the MHKs uh, as to their views about the budget. It's certainly clear from your views that you've texted in and those that have phoned in that maybe the budget hasn't gone down uh, as well as government might have hoped. Um, but that's it for me. 60 years serving you as the nation station. This is Max Radio. The Steam Packet Company, as we know it, was formed in 1830 
and for over 150 years as an independent company, took passengers and freight across the Irish Sea. But in 1996, it was sold to Jim Sherwood's Sea Containers. This, to put it mildly, caused a stir and started a series of transactions over the following years in which the company, seen as a profitable investment vehicle, changed hands. In May 2018, it was bought by the Isle of Man government. In a moment, though, Jim Sherwood's plans for his new acquisition in 1996. First, though, and reflecting Manx concerns, the late Walter Gilby, MHK, who was a director of the packet. I think it will upset a lot of people, and a lot of people like myself are very sorry about it because we would all have preferred the steam packet to maintain and continue its 166 years of independence. However, in the circumstances of sea containers holding 43% and then obtaining uh, the promise uh, to that they could obtain another 15%, uh, there is unfortunately no alternative. Well, our plan is to uh, completely retonnage uh, the company. The steam packet company has uh, three over-age ships in its fleet at the moment, and indeed uh, the freight uh, capacity is too little. So we uh, envision uh, replacing all three vessels uh, by 1998 with um, uh, brand new, modern, fast uh, ships. So uh, we should have a very great improvement in the in the level of service which uh, which is provided. Since um, two of the ships will be high-speed uh, car ferries, it will also enable us to um, uh, develop the market for tourists to the island from uh, uh, Liverpool, uh, Blackpool, Dublin, uh, Belfast. Now, uh, everyone has talked about these markets, but uh, in reality, in years past, the steam packet company has not had the capacity to uh, to, to, to carry the, uh, the markets uh, with, uh, based on their potential. Part of Island Life for 60 years. This is your Manx Radio.